And for those of you that are maybe, um, we are continuing our series in John. So if you've got your Bible, uh, you want to turn to John chapter 4. This didn't get aimed very well, did it? Too bad, that's what we got. Um, we're going to start reading today at verse 46. We have uh, been walking with Jesus. He, he went and uh, was in Jerusalem for a time, cleansed the temple. Um, he was there with his disciples and, and was teaching in the synagogue, uh, was challenging the, the Jewish people there. And then we saw him start making his way from Jerusalem uh, down, where's Jerusalem? Down here, up in his way through uh, Samaria. Uh, he interacted with the, uh, the woman at the well at uh, Sikar. And, um, and now he is continuing up into Galilee, um, up into uh, the northern part of, uh, of the province of, of Palestine. And uh, that's where we pick up the story today. Um, we're going to start reading at verse 46 from John chapter 4. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water into wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. But the official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. So Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. And the man believed. Believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed and all of his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come up from Judea to Galilee. So we have this official, and uh, there has been some speculation about who this official is. Um, likely coming from uh, Capernaum, up on the northern part of the Sea of Galilee. Um, one of Herod's sons, uh, that was his area um, of, of rule and, and, um, and uh, where he had set up a palace. Um, so because this gentleman was identified as an official, um, it's very likely that he was part of Herod's household in some way. 
Um, but we don't know exactly for sure. Some have speculated uh, in, in, uh, in Matthew's gospel that talks about a Roman centurion that had built a synagogue in Capernaum. And some have su suspected that perhaps this was that Roman centurion. It doesn't say that he was necessarily a Jew or a Roman. Uh, we don't have that much information about him. But he, up there in Capernaum, had heard about this Jesus. Had heard about all of the things that Jesus had been doing down in, in uh, Jerusalem and in Judea. And he was a desperate man. His son was sick. At the point of death. And he was at the point where he was willing to do anything in order to try and see his son made well. We kind of have a picture of that. We, we know what that's like. We have, probably all of us have known somebody um, who was sick in some way and was so desperate. They were willing to try anything. They would uh, they'll fly to some other place in the world that, that promises some clinic that has some alternative kind of medicine that, that that perhaps some people have seen making a difference in their lives. And, and so they go to, to see if perhaps that will make a difference in their lives, uh, to, to bring healing. Um, my, my uncle had a rare form of leukemia and um, was a, a godly man um, and, and had total confidence that God was in control, that God was... Uh, working through his circumstances, but he pursued everything. He was he was uh, carried that diagnosis uh, for a number of years. It seems to me like probably even close to ten years that that he was um, uh, diagnosed with this uh, rare form of uh, leukemia. Um, and he tried everything. They were in Mexico to, to try some healing, some uh, treatments that were down there. The clinic had promised some kind of help for him. Uh, he went to Europe and spent some time there. All of these places that they were trying to see and, and were desperate in, in praying for healing, that God would, would bring some healing in his life. Uh, people will do whatever, even if they aren't necessarily convinced that this is probably the best, that this will heal them. They'll go try whatever because they're desperate. They want to, they want to see something happen to, to, be, to be seen. And, and you can imagine your child is sick at the point of death and, and, and you'd be willing to go anywhere. I think that's why Jesus uh, challenged this man with this really hard thing that Jesus said. It says that unless you see Signs and wonders you will not believe. Why would Jesus uh, say such a thing to a, a man who was so desperate for his child to be healed? I, I don't think Jesus had, had any thought that he wouldn't heal this official son's, this official's son. Um, I don't think that it was somehow Jesus saying that's not worth it because you're not really going to believe. What Jesus wanted to do for this man was to challenge him. To shake him out of this, this desperation of just I'll do anything. To really get this man to consider 
what he is asking and who he is asking. And we see that in this man's response. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. This man was brought to the place of, he had been traveling, and we can see that, that there was a distance between Capernaum to, to Cana. It was probably about 18, maybe 20 miles different. So it would have been quite a journey by foot to get from one place to another. And this man was willing to, to do whatever he could, and he was traveling all over the place, and he had, uh, I'm sure he had called in all of the, the doctors that, that were available to, to come and treat his son, try and treat his son. He probably had gone through some diet changes with his son to see if maybe there was something in the food that he was eating. Uh, maybe he had taken some trips and taken him to, to the, the Mediterranean Sea to, to get the fresh sea air, and, and perhaps that would bring healing to his son. I, what wouldn't you do to see your child healed? You would, you would go through whatever you could to try and make that happen. Jesus' question brought this man up short and helped him to realize there was nothing that he could do. That if he was going to see his son be healed, all of his running around, all of his rushing, all of the effort that he was putting in was never going to heal his son. He needed God to intervene. And it brought this man up short and said, I can do nothing. The only hope for my son is you. And Jesus in his great love and compassion <laughs> said the words that had brought joy to this man's heart. Go, your son will live. And in that interaction, in those words, in that coming up short to having to realize that there was no, uh, no effort that this man could do to bring healing to his son, he came to the place of putting his faith and trust. He didn't need the sign. He didn't need Jesus to do some kind of hocus-pocus little show to make it happen. He heard the words of Jesus And he took action. Jesus' words weren't just, your son will live. Jesus gave him an act of faith. Go, your son will live. If the man had stayed there in Canaan, maybe looking around for somebody else that could heal or, or whatever, it, it, it needed an act of of obedience, a, a step of faith that this man would go. I trust that Jesus, he didn't stay there, he didn't say, no, 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 you have to come. You need to come and be down here. He trusted in the word of Jesus. He believed. And his son was healed. This is, as, as John points out, this is the second sign of Jesus. We, we talked about the first sign when Jesus changed the water into wine. Jesus showed his power over the essential nature of things. That he could take water which was 
the chemical composition that was completely different than wine, and he was able to transform that essential nature of the water into wine, into something that was a celebration, that was a, uh, a life-giving source, that was uh, such value and, 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 and uh, celebratory in that culture. Jesus points to us to say that that's the same kind of transformation that, that he wants to do in our lives. He doesn't want to just do a cosmetic change to, to change the color or change the taste of who we are. But he wants to get into the very essence of us and transform us at our very nature. To take that sin nature, that brokenness that has, that has characterized humanity since Adam and Eve. And he wants to transform who we are. That was the first sign. And the, what we saw from that, his disciples believed. And here with this second sign that Jesus did, where he was showing that he had power and authority, not, over the, not only the essence of things, how they are made, but he also has uh, power and authority over the physical well-being of humanity. That he could heal, and, and he could heal at distance. He didn't have to be in proximity to bring new life and, and, and new health to individuals. So we see how Jesus is going to transform who we are in the first sign. In the second sign, he is going to heal us, heal that brokenness. All of the things that have happened in our lives that have brought us pain and sorrow and suffering that have caused us to follow after our sin and our pride, Jesus is able to come and bring healing into our lives. The second sign, and the official belief in all of his household. Jesus' signs bring belief in people. We're going to read once we get to this at some point towards the end of, of our series. We're going to get to John chapter 19 and the end of the verse where it's, end of the chapter where it says, Now Jesus did many other signs. And throughout this whole text, we're going to see a number of places where Jesus is doing signs that result in people's belief. But here it says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. The second sign that Jesus did was intended for this official to receive life in the name of Jesus. And it's recorded for us so that we can believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the one that was sent to save the world, that he is the Son of God, divine in all that he is, and that he is our source of salvation. By putting our trust in his name, we will be made new, and we will be healed from all those afflictions that have brought pain and suffering and sorrow into our lives. 
Let's continue reading on into chapter 5. Another story of Jesus healing work in people's lives. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, those that are blind, that are lame and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed. And he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It's the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said, Take up your bed and walk. So they asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, and there was a crowd in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My Father is working until now, and I am working. So this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. Uh, another uh, amazing story of Jesus' power. Uh, so he's now come from Galilee and gone back down to Jerusalem for some feast that doesn't specify here. Um, there, there were a number of feast days that were uh, required for people, uh, for the Jewish people to go and celebrate in Jerusalem. Um, so one of these, Jesus had gone down to Jerusalem to celebrate, and here he runs into this man who is at the uh, Pool of Bethesda. Uh, this is what archaeologists tell us was likely the Pool of Bethesda. Um, it is at, at a place in the city of Jerusalem that is close to the temple. It was near the Sheep Gate, and it was called the Sheep Gate because that was the gate where the sheep that were, uh, that were uh, destined for 
for the sacrifices would come into, so it was very close to the temple, so they wouldn't have to uh, mess up the whole city wandering through. Uh, it was a gate that was very close to get in there. Uh, so this is uh, the pool of Bethesda. There was a spring um, that was feeding this pool, and uh, what would happen is is there would be an influx of water, and, and as this the spring new water would come in through it, would stir up the water of the pool, and uh, and it was then thought that that was an angel that was stirring up the water. And so people would then, whoever was be able to get into the water while it was being stirred up, uh, they were said to be healed um, at this pool. And um, so this man who had been here, uh, who had been an invalid for 38 years, was here trying to get healed. 38 years is a long time. Now this... He wasn't born lame. Um, otherwise, uh, John would have said that this was a man that was born lame. Uh, but he was, at, at some young age, um, somehow was, was crippled, whether it was through some kind of an accident. Maybe he was driving his camel too fast and, and got cut off by a chariot and, and had some kind of an accident. Maybe it was a, a farming or construction accident, uh, likely it was worth 38 years, likely was when he was quite young um, that, that, uh, that he had this accident. Um, and so for these long years, he had not been able to uh, sustain himself, he had not been able to work. Um, being an invalid at that time would have been a very difficult, difficult life indeed. Um, and so he was looking for healing. He was coming to this pool that perhaps he would be able to get there. And again, Jesus has a question that you just kind of have to wonder, why are you asking if this man wants to be healed? Of course he wants to be healed. That's why he's here. But it was a question that was intended to bring this man up short. To cause him to stop and consider his circumstances and his situation. Again, a, a man desperate for healing and likely had, had investigated all kinds of different ways and, and the way that he thought he would be able to, to, to do his own healing was to go to this pool and, and maybe get into there uh, at the right time when the angels stirred up the water. But Jesus' question brought him up short and his response is again <coughs> significant. Sir, I have no one. Jesus' question brought this man to the end of himself, to realize there was nothing that he was going to be able to do, no way that he would be able to create that healing for himself. He needed someone to intervene on his behalf. And so Jesus, with all of his compassion, with all of his love, grace and kindness towards this man, says, get up, take your bed, and walk. Again, Jesus requires an act of obedience, a step of faith that this man needs to take. He could have refused and just continued to lie there and said, lift me up, do something, do some hocus pocus. 
But that wasn't his response. The man obediently got up, took up his bed, and walked away. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the joy that you would feel at, at being set free? Jesus was again showing his power over uh, the, the illness, the, the, the brokenness of our human existence. And helping us to realize that, that there is nothing that we can do that can create our own healing. All of the people in your life that have called you down, that have hurt you, that have abused you, that have taken advantage of you. All of the circumstances that have gone against you, that have created all kinds of suffering in your life. The pain and hurt that, that has, that has uh, plagued you for so long. There's nothing that you can do to bring healing, but Jesus can. The silly mistakes that you make that bring brokenness and healing. The mistakes, uh, the, the choices that you've made that, that, that got you into circumstances and situations uh, that you would have never wanted, that have now uh, uh, bogged you down, held you captive in in, in financial circumstances or situations that you would have never chosen. Uh, maybe in relationships that you would have preferred never having been a part of your life. Uh, maybe physical maladies. Perhaps you've got bad knees or sore back or something like that because of choices that you made, games that you played when you were a young person, things that you did when, when, you, were, when you were young. And, and all of those things are plaguing you. Jesus can bring healing and transformation in your life if you are willing to come to that place of saying, I got no one. I got nothing that can bring me newness of life. And Jesus can take all of those circumstances and all of those situations and bring a healing that we would never expect from anyone else. Now we, we get a bit of an insight into the continuing persecution of Jesus uh, in this as well and we see how the, uh, the, the religious leaders um, get bogged down in the, the legalities of life and miss the beauty of Christ's transforming love and healing in people's lives. You just got to shake your heads. Why are they so upset about this guy that now is walking? He's been healed. He's been transformed. And yet they're focusing on the nitty-gritty that, that, that somehow there is a, a, a human tradition that has been broken here because he was carrying his bed on the Sabbath. And this gives them more justification and reason but not only that, but in this circumstance and situation, Jesus is declaring himself to be God. And it's another one of those powerful statements. Uh, there will be those that will try and tell you that Jesus never claimed to be God. They're not reading the Bible. 
Jesus says, by him saying, the Father is working until now, and I am working as well. And we see the response of the religious leaders, that they knew that when he was saying, that claiming that God was his Father, that he was uniquely linked with God, that he himself was claiming to be divine, to be God. Because of that, they were coming and attacking him. Absolutely, Jesus not only knew himself to be God, but claimed himself to be God. And we cannot allow any false teaching to, to bring us to a place of, of seeing anything less than Jesus being fully God. But I think these two stories bring us to a place where we need to, to stop and consider these questions that Jesus has asked that caused both of these men to, to rethink where they were putting their faith, what they were hoping in, what they were trusting in. Brings us to that same place of where are we putting our hope? For so many people, their hope of salvation, their hope of being right with God is found in their ability to be able to follow all the right things and do all the right things that, that, that characterize a religious person, that they come to church on a regular basis, uh, that they put money in the offering to be able to, uh, to be uh, gained favor with God. They, they go through the, the right rituals of, 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 uh, of what it looks like of those that are followers of God. They, uh, they are generous to others. They, they try and do the right things. They, they look into all the things that they can do that make themselves right with God. And they miss the point that what Jesus is asking us is to come to the end of ourselves, to realize that there is nothing that we can do to be right with him. All of our activities, all of our generosity, all of our kindness, all of our good deeds don't get us one millimeter closer to God. It's only when we come to the end of the self and realize that it is only God that can rescue us. And it's only through the Savior's sacrifice on our behalf that we have hope of being transformed from the inside out. That we have any certainty that, that there is healing of all of the brokenness in our lives. that we can have confidence in walking each and every day in the newness of life that Jesus brings us, knowing that he is leading and guiding us and directing us into all of the activities and all of the righteousness that brings honor and glory to our Father and our King. So who are you? What are you trusting in? Have you put your hope in 
those activities. Have you come to the place where you realize that you have no one, nothing, except putting your trust in Him? Let's pray. Jesus' name, amen.